if I were um, going to kind of summarize and talk a little bit about not necessarily the theme of Romans, not necessarily everything that's going to happen, in, but the heart. Like, what, is, what does Paul want out of Romans? What does he want to share with these people? What is the heart of this message? And this text here really jumps out. He says, for I long to see you. Long to see you, impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and. I want you to notice that Paul starts here as as he's describing his urges, what he really, really wants. He wants there with them. He says, "I want to be in your midst. I want to sing with you. I want to preach with you. I want to hear thoughts." can give you a spiritual gift. But in lieu of my presence, I'm going to send you this letter, and this letter is also a gift. He's wanting it to begin with the gifting given to these brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think it's really important that we see this, because we see in in both the media, and I just think in general right now, the attitude that's kind of against the church, this caricature that gets set up, this caricature of us that we're you know, kill joys and uh, sexually repressed and we just want to control people's rights and bodies and there's not really any for these prudes that are kind of standing in judgment over the world. There's this caricature that gets set up and interesting is that I see Christians and non-Christians and Christians as well engaging in this kind of talk about the church because they've had an experience at the church. And they check off and sign off and share and tweet all these things. You know, the church is failing. The church is hypocritical. They analyze it based on this experience. And, and I got to tell you, like I, I have so many experiences in the church. I, I could, we would be here all day long as I told you all of the things that have gone on. And yet, bad things. I don't see all of those failures and all of those flaws. And when God sees us, he doesn't see all of those failures and all of those flaws. And one of the things that really bothers me, it upsets me, especially Christians talking like this, is I say, how can you say that about your brothers and sisters? How can you say children of God? My daughter is not perfect. She's very perfect, but she's not perfect. And if you came to me and said, hey, listen, I've got all these problems with Emery, and she does this, and she's like this, and she's like this, eventually, probably rather quickly, you and I are going to have an issue, right? Because we defend people that we love. Church is God's people, his children, those he loves. And so one of the things I want to see Christians stop doing is driving me crazy, is biting at each other, gossiping about each other, and, and, and describing all of the failures we see. Instead of seeing failures, why don't we see what Paul sees? Because he's going to criticize the Roman church. He's going to say, listen, I've got... He starts love. He says, I want to give to you a gift because you are my body. I am part of the body of Christ and so are you. And we need to see the church for what it is. We need to see us, each other, the way God sees and so I also want to say to those of you killjoys out there, because some of you, Matt, I'm looking at you, problem causers, speakers out in Sunday school, you know, all those kinds of people. I want to say, not saying you got all this wrong, I want to give you a gift. 
I don't want to say to all of you who have been hurt by the church, because I know you're out there. I've been hurt. You've been hurt by a Christian. Said something, somebody did something, and, and you can't believe it, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm done with this. In, uh, and throughout Scripture, and it's important that you see this too, because Paul's about to get really dark. <laughs> so he kind of starts out with a but he moves quickly through this to say in uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through... Um, Verses 18 through 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 20. He says, I want to condemn you all. <laughs> which, which sort of sounds like a contradiction. Like, I want to put, impart to you a gift, a spiritual gift. And here, let me tell you why you guys stink. And this is what he does. And, and, and I, you, I want you to keep that gifting in your mind because on the other side of it, news, but we have to start with truth as well. And if we're willing to search our own hearts, if we're really to, willing to look at our own lives, we would see that condemnation is not off-putting, but rather it is the uncomfortable truth of our lives. He says to the Gentiles, he says to the, the people who God, he says, listen, you haven't kept the scriptures because you didn't know the scriptures, but you do have a right? As any Christian, you don't have to you don't have to have ever even darkened the door of a church, but you know this. That's not fair. You have a conscience that God has given you. Beyond that, as we look at the world around us, we see that God has put into nature uh, enough that we would recognize certain truths and certain falsehoods. And, and Paul says to all of them, you haven't kept that. You have against your conscience, and you are under the harsh penalty of eternal judgment from God. And all of the Christians are like, yeah, let's get them, right? Get them, Paul. Those godless Hollywood politicians. No amens? Like, you guys just left that. But Paul immediately, as soon as we're sort of ready to cheer and say he's on our side, immediately Paul comes at us and he says, listen, you have no excuse, you who judge. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you who judge, you have the same stuff in your heart. You've committed the same atrocities. You have the same guilt on you. You have the same lust, the same anger, the same grief. You've transgressed your conscience more times than we could ever count. You have no right to judge. And when you do, the judgment with which you judge will be brought back upon you. And that God will come and he will render to everyone what they have done. And all of the Gentiles are like, yeah, and all the Christians and Jews and people who believe in God are like, hold on a second. It's getting dark in here. But it brings us to this conclusion, this conclusion in Romans chapter 3. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one sees God. All have turned aside. Together we have all become worthless. If God is ultimate, if he is holy, if he is above all, if he is purity, if he looks down at us, even the best of us is beneath him in such a way as to say, you are worthless. You are worthless. And so what does that leave us with? It leaves us with desperation. It leaves us with condemnation. It leaves us with guilt. It leaves us with hopelessness. Were it but for these words. The righteousness of God through faith. In Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace 
as a gift. You see that? If you write in your Bibles, underline that, right? Because Paul has now started with the gift and he's walked us through so that we could see that we're together in this sort of ball of sinfulness that deserves the righteous judgment of God. And yet he says, what has God done in the face of all that we have done? He has given us Jesus so that the gift of salvation and peace with God might be bestowed upon all who would believe. It's good news, isn't it? That might deserve an amen. I don't know, some of you who are awake out there. That's good news. Grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that God put forth. God put forth his son as a propitiation or a sacrifice, the atonement, the thing that makes peace. Because before this, we were the enemies of God. And yet now we have peace with God, not because of what you've done. Because you haven't produced it, you haven't earned it, you have done nothing to deserve it, and yet God, through Jesus, is offering it to you. That's an amazing bit of good news. Notice again the presentation of this gift. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay it down. I give it up. So we can read in Romans chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul repeats this again and again. If you read through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, if you read through these letters that Paul writes to all of these different people in all kinds of different situations, he comes back again and again to this idea of the gift. He says again and again, you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, but by grace, through faith, God has poured out on you forgiveness. And so when we look at the song we sang just a few minutes ago, We see mercy. And when God looks upon you, he sees mercy. And that is amazing, tremendous news. But my fear, church, is that's where we stop. If you look at our songs, if you look at the way we present the gospel, if you look at the the memes you get on Facebook, if if you look at the way that we talk about what God has done, we talk about salvation through faith, we talk about that, forgiveness of sins, we talk about that, but we stop there. We stop there. And I think that's tragic because what I see throughout the scriptures and what I see in my own life is I see that the salvation through faith, the forgiveness, the peace with God, that is the opening of the door and the entrance into the house of God where there are treasures forevermore. That God has so many more blessings, so many more gifts to give to us that they're uncountable. And yet we often just begin and end there with forgiveness. And so if we were going through Romans, we end with kind of chapter 8. Chapter 8 is all about the gifting that God has given us. And I want to share some of those with you. So in 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation. As I was uh, reading chapter 8 this week, it was a little bit towards the end of the week, I think it was Thursday, I like had in my mind like all of the things that I did wrong this week. I'm not going to share those with you. But there was more than one. Let's put it this way. And I read this word. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can condemn. God himself doesn't condemn. Even though I'm definitely condemnable, there is no condemnation. 
For the Spirit has now set me free from the law of sin and death. Which means there's no condemnation for the things that I've done. But I know that today I don't need to continue in that sin because I've been set free from all of the junk of the past, from all of the addictions, from all of the bad habits, from all of the, the darkness, all of the sin that has been built into my life over years and years and years of practicing that which is wrong. All of that has been washed away. And now, not only is there no condemnation for the past, but there's no law of sin sin in my life for the future because I am not flesh anymore I am spirit and I love this the spirit of God is now dwelling within me which means that not only am I blessed by having all of your lovely faces as a part of my life and which we're brothers and sisters and I think it was uh, in our prayer today that we, we have each other to lean on but even if I am alone I have the Holy Spirit inside of me He's dwelling in me. For all of those who have the Spirit of God, we're being led then by the Spirit. So, so as I'm moving through life, not only the Spirit within me, not only has all this stuff been taken care of, but now I am being led by the Spirit of God. So what fear of the future? What fear of the past? What fear of failure? If the Spirit is leading me, and if the Spirit is leading me, then I'm a son of God. That's good news. And if I'm a son of God, then I'm an heir. I'm an heir to all that which God is going to provide in Christ. And I'm going to be glorified with him. And when things fall apart, because they do, I see that. Because they do, things fall apart. Christ, right? The Spirit fills us up in our weakness. So that we could say, and I like this last one so much. And those who he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he justified. That is, he made peace with God for us. And those whom he justified, he glorified, or will glorify, in both body and in position. So in all of this then, what does this lead us to conclude? What does this lead us to say? Well, you know, as, as things come in your life, as the days get dark, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and whenever you face the exile you face the sword, whenever you face whatever it is, the scriptures say, we are more than conquerors. Not we are conquerors, but whatever a conqueror looks like, you are greater than that as you face the problems and the tribulations of life because of all of the giftedness that has been poured out into you by the Holy Spirit through Jesus. So God continues then to expand. So where, where we stop with the forgiveness of sins, what I'm trying to point out to you is that really what we have is this is an open door to an expanding litany of all of the gifts of grace that God wants to pour upon you out of the windows of heaven. And that is amazing, isn't it? Shouldn't that be why we sing as well? Not just that his eyes on the sparrow, but that he is poured out, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 2, every spiritual blessing. As we read again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended, he brought with him captives and he gave gifts. That is, Jesus gave gifts to man. That is, as he died in his death and in his resurrection, he brought about justification so that we could have peace with God. So there's no longer enmity between my sin and God's holiness. We're brought into a unity, into a oneness, where I am now his son and he is my father. But as Jesus ascended, it unleashed the power of the Spirit so that the blessings and power and giftings of God might fall upon his people. That's amazing. So what does that mean? Well, let me give you some examples from my life and maybe that will resonate with you. 
in your life. What does it mean? It means that I no longer have to work on my marriage. My marriage is made right in the Holy Spirit. That God has washed away all of the many wrongs that I have done and the couple of wrongs that she has done. Forgiveness is poured out. There is no longer division. And because of the Holy Spirit and because of the way that God has realigned my life and killed what is past and put before me, no longer sin or death, I am able and we are able to submit to one another as we read in Ephesians 5, 21, to submit to, to one another out of reverence for Christ. My marriage is no longer work. It's grace. Now look at the, the enemies that I have. There's no longer enmity between me and them. Any past wrongs, they're forgiven because God's forgiven all of mine and he is broken down as we read in Ephesians chapter 3. The wall of hostility that divided people, it's gone. I don't have enemies. I have friends and people who don't know they're my friends yet. We don't have addictions. I don't have bad habits. I don't have these things that have, that have chained and shackled me. Rather, because of Christ, there is no longer the law of sin and death in my life. And so what do I need to do? I simply need to realize that God has freed me from all of that stuff. I don't need to walk in it anymore. I don't have to beat that stuff. Christ has beaten it for me. That which I could not do, God through Jesus has done. So my life is now grace. It's freedom. I don't have to carry around all the old guilt. There's no condemnation, remember that? I don't have to worry about what's next. I don't have to worry about how things are going to turn out. I don't have to worry about the bank account because I'm being led by the Spirit, and the Spirit is freedom, and the Spirit is life. And God, whose eye is on the sparrow again, is the one who will provide everything. If he's got his eye on a sparrow, if he knows the number of the hairs of my head, if I am his child, if I'm an heir, if I have destiny to be glorified with Jesus Christ, then what have I to fear? Nothing. My life is freedom. My life is grace. My life is opened up to the bliss and wonders that are experience in knowing Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? And so I I want you to see that so that what we see when you talk about what Jesus has done, especially when you're talking uh, with people who maybe aren't believers, don't stop with forgiveness. Maybe don't even start with sin, but talk about the freedom and the grace that you have in your life that God has poured out into you. What we need then, and, and what this brings us to is back to Um, Romans chapter 12, and so if you flip back there and and look at it, what he says in Romans chapter 12 takes on, I think, new meaning. So as he's walked us through what God has done in Jesus, and he's walked us through the gifting of grace that has been poured out to us, he asks the question of, well, then what would you do with that? I mean, if all of that's true and you're experiencing all of that stuff, then, then, then how would you respond to God? He says, I appeal to you then, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, then present yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Most of your Bibles will say spiritual there. The word that says spiritual, some of them will say reasonable. The word that's there in Greek is logikos. And most of you know English well enough, I think, to be able to tell me what word comes into English out of Greek from logikos. Logic, right? So this is your logical worship would be a very literal, literal rendition here. And what does that mean? He means if you are going to worship God, the God who did all of this for you, who has opened up this gift of grace, who has given you all of this in the heavenly places and poured it down on you in the earthly places, what would be your reasonable response? 
you would offer your life to him and say, God, take, take me. You're like, do what you will with my life. Because whatever God is going to do with it is better than whatever you are going to do with it, right? So it just makes sense. What would you do? This is what you would do. And so I point that out because as you read spiritual worship, some of you are going to think that you need to like roll down the aisles like singing 15,000 verses of, uh, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship or something. And that's not the point. The point is that you would make a logical decision, a reasonable decision to give your life to God. Because it's the only possible response to such grace. So then we have the next verse, verse 2. Therefore, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. And so Paul is connecting then this logical, worshipful, meaningful response, because the, worship, the word worship again means just to offer God what he's due. So if God has done all of this, what does he do? He's due your, your, your mind, your heart, your spirit, your body, everything as a living sacrifice. And what this will allow us to do is to no longer be conformed to the way that the world works, no longer conforming ourselves to the laws of sin and death, but rather to be changed by what? The renewing of your mind. And Matt, I said such mean things about you a few minutes ago, and you're still with... I love you, man. By the renewing of your mind. And that's important because the the point then is, he doesn't say by fixing all of the junk that you're doing wrong. Do you notice that? He doesn't say by being perfect in all of the things that you do. I didn't see that either. He doesn't say by straightening up and flying right. No, he says renew your mind. See what has happened in you. You remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5? where um, Paul is talking, and he's talking about jars of clay, and God has poured into us, and all this grace. And he says um, that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. New creation has happened in you. It's on you. It's in you. It's through you. It's, it's inside. It's outside. It's all over you. And the task right now that you need to be at is recognizing the truth of who you are. And the truth of what God has done. And that begins by renewing the way that you see the world. So if we want what Paul talks about in um, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, he says that we ought to put on the mind of Christ. What that means is to see yourself the way Christ sees you. It's significant to me as I th- read through the New Testament. And this isn't isolated to Paul, but seems to be throughout all of the letters, even John and Peter, that we are called saints. A holy one. Now, I know some of you, I think I know all of you well enough to know that that is not a name that should be applied to you. You don't deserve that title. And I can tell you, surely that does not belong to me. I am not a saint. I am not a holy one. And yet, Paul insists every time he writes um, to, the, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Thessalonica, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Rome, because you are holy. Because in Christ, remember that, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God has poured out his spirit. And now you are filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're being led according to that promise. Led to the promise of glory. Which is yours in Jesus Christ. And so, what we're saying when we're talking about what's next for you. What we are not saying is you need to fix yourself. You need to let those bad... Like, we're not talking about work 
we're talking about diving into the grace that God is providing you. How can you, if I wanted the mind of Christ, what can I do in my life that will help me to renew my mind? What can I do in my life that will help me to align myself to the truth that is already happening? I am being transformed. How do I align my life so I can experience more and more of God's gifting, more and more of God's grace That is what we are up to here this fall. That is what we are up to. So our fall programming is going to look quite a bit different, well, maybe not quite a bit different, but different anyway, than it did last year. We want to offer opportunities for everyone to dive in and experience the grace and the gifting of God. And obviously, this is limited to kind of what we're doing here. We pray that you'll be doing that in all sorts of ways outside in your um, daily life when you're not together with the church. We want to go deep, and and we think that that's our Sunday morning service. Um, You'll get a little bit of scripture, you'll get a little bit of singing, you'll get a little bit of prayer, get a little bit of fellowship. You can go deep here, we hope, we think, we believe, we pray. But we want you to go deeper too. And that's what we'll be doing in our Wednesday night program. Uh, Judy has got a great program for the kids lined up. Um, Paul and Carrie are going to be taking our teenagers, junior high, high school. And then I will be dealing with you adults, you troublesome adults. And what we'll be doing is diving deeper into Romans chapter 12 this week. We'll be exploring the sermon. Uh, because I know that you're driving home and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, that was totally wrong. I don't know at all. Or you're thinking to yourself, that was a really good point. Or I'm really not sure what to do with this. Or I've got a question about that. Bring that with you on Wednesday night. Bring it with you. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. Bring your disagreements. Bring your own thoughts. How would you apply Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2? to your life, or how have you. Share those thoughts together, and that's what we'll be doing. We'll be diving deeper into that. We'll also, our small church program, which is focused on getting together in homes, eating together, praying together, learning where we're struggling, sharing life together, diving deeper into our relationships. The scriptures are so powerfully pointing always to the idea of fellowship, and yet we never think of fellowship as worship. I think fellowship is worship. God likes to see his kids having fun together. Not fighting, like your kids were this morning, but having fun together. Man, my office was crazy. Those kids were nuts. Poor Andrew. You're a good man, Andrew. Good boy. Um, but, but playing together and having fun together and, and just love to see that. And so that's what our small church ministry is all about. If you want to dive deepest... Get up early. I hate to say it. Like, I'm really sorry about this. I talked to the elders about pushing it later. Like, maybe, hey, we could do it at like 2, Sunday school at like 2 or 3 after we've had a nap, but they wouldn't hear anything about it. So 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Um, come to our classes. This is where we really open up the Bibles, and we talk about Greek, and we talk about Hebrew, and we talk about exegesis, and we talk about history, and we read the books that no one ever preaches on, right? Because nobody talks about Joel, but this morning we read the book of Joel together and talked about the history the history and the meaning and the teaching of those prophecies. And so please, if you want to dive deepest, this is the deepest part of our program. So what's next for you? Each one of these is focused on some way renewing your mind, of aligning you to the way that that God sees the world, of, 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 of setting us up so that we can see the grace that is in Christ Jesus, because that's what this is all about. 
about changing the way that we see the world so that we can operate no longer with the law of sin and death looking forward, no longer with the law of condemnation looking backward, but we can move through life as people who are free. You you notice how often the Bible talks about that. Freedom. Freedom in the Spirit. The truth will set you free, right? I mean, we know this, this idea of freeness, but freeness can only come if we unshackle ourselves from the past and unshackle ourselves from a sinful and law-bound future and let ourselves travel this road of grace. It's not that it's easy. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely possible, and it's definitely free, and it's definitely the best thing that you can do with your life, both now and forever. We're looking this week, or have looked this past week, a lot of ailments, a lot of struggles. Uh, Phil and Juan, um, Phil passing away um, this past week, and you know we have a lot of that kind of thing going on right now. It's it's sort of a tough season for the church, and yet when I read what I read there in Romans chapter eight, that we are destined for glory that we are more than conquerors, that those he predestined he called, and those he called he justified, and those whom he has justified he will glorify. So wherever you are this morning, whatever you're struggling with, watch you see the freedom that is in Christ. Watch you see the promise of glory. And I want you to cling to that with all that you are. If you have any need this morning, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're going through that tough time. Uh, Maybe you need to place membership or maybe you need to receive baptism. Whatever it is that you might be struggling with, we'll have an elder down front. I'll be down front. We'll be here to pray with you. We'll be here to hear you. Come forward if you need to. Or make a decision in your own seat as we stand and sing this song.